It's hard to come up after a scene like that and say, hey, it's tough, it's heavy. I've actually been, I've kind of been immersed in the crucifixion of Christ for the last couple of weeks, and it is heavy. I was telling somebody the other day, I keep, keep having bad dreams or whatever, and it's, it's hard to sleep. But I think if we're not careful, we'll miss the point, and this time we'll miss a season and the point of what this is all about. And what happens is, as we view the crucifixion of Christ, it helps us understand why we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. What we've been talking about is the struggle of our Lord Jesus, that, that we talked about the struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane that led him to surrender in order that he could go to the cross, the struggle at Golgotha, which we're talking about today. And as he struggles with this, struggles at Calvary or struggles with the cross, it leads to the, the grave. And then the grave leads him to the glory of the resurrection. But all of this is part of his struggle. And what we're doing as, as we begin to talk about this thing of, of, you know, as we were talking about this week and Palm Sunday and all of these things that lead up to the resurrection of Christ, hopefully it will bring clarity in our everyday situations. So that's what we're trying to do. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. I ask, Lord, that you will speak to us. You will bring clarity about the purpose behind your struggles as a a man and as still being divine. I pray, Lord, that you will have your way in the lives of people, that you will minister to us today in Christ's name. And everybody said, I want you to look at your name and say, hey, it's Palm Sunday. Now, here's why we're talking about this. Next Sunday 
is Easter. And for the church all over the world, Easter is like Super Bowl, right? Easter is a very, very big thing. And here's why we talk about this. If somebody that doesn't go to church, somebody that's unchurched, if, they, if, if, if they're going to go to church, they are four times more likely, according to statistics, they're four times more likely to go at Easter than any other time of the year. So it's kind of like harvest time. It's, it's, it's like people will go if they're just invited. Three-fourths of people who don't know God, three-fourths of people that don't, that don't even go to church, if you'll just invite them during this week, they'll go. It's kind of like God's already done the work. All we need to do is invite. So that's, I want to encourage you this week to make a difference in somebody's life. You don't know what this will do in somebody's life by you inviting them, them coming to church, them stepping across the line and saying, you know what, I'm going to change my life. Hey, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to start, I'm going to start going to church. I can tell you that many people that come to Faith Code Church the first time they ever came was an Easter Sunday. I have so many stories about people coming on Easter Sunday. So just do, do the best that you can to invite somebody this, this coming week. And another thing that we're doing this Wednesday night is we're having a special night. In order to prepare us for what's coming this weekend, this Wednesday we're having a special night of worship where we're going to receive communion, have praise and worship. I'm not going to be preaching, so it's going to be fun. And uh, then we're, we're, uh, we're also going to be praying for the weekend. Uh, we're not having child care. You can bring your kids into the auditorium. And we're just going to have a great time. And we're going to honor God as we approach Good Friday. And next Sunday, we're having three services. We're having an 8 a.m. service. That's the only service we're adding. We're not changing the other service times. We're just having an 8 a.m. service. So uh, how many of you are going to come to the 8 o'clock service? I'm just curious. <laughs> so yeah, there's actually some people really excited about it. I can tell you this, based on protocol of what has happened in past years, uh, you're going to have a tough time getting a seat in the 9.30 and also the 11 o'clock service, but there's always plenty of room in that 8 a.m. service. So be thinking about that. Be thinking about coming to the 8 o'clock service, and also share our, you know, our, our invitations on Facebook. Share that with your friends. That's the same thing as inviting, right? You're inviting with all your friends, and, and uh, uh, another thing that we're asking people to do is if you don't serve... Easter is a great time to serve because of the three services. If, if, and I was saying this last week, if we don't uh, get more participation as far as serving, there are some people, like on the safety team, the host team, kids' ministries, they're going to be serving all three services because we're so busy. It's all hands on deck kind of a thing. So be thinking about that, and that's a great opportunity for you to serve. But I'm so excited about Easter Sunday, and I, yeah, yeah, be here, but bring somebody with you. Well, let's kind of dive into this. I got a lot to cover in a little bit of time. As I said before last week in in life, nothing just happens. If you're going to accomplish anything worthwhile in your life, if you're going to if you're going to set out and do anything, usually it comes with a little bit of struggle. Nothing just happens. Now I want to go back to that original question that I have for you. I ask you this. I said, why did Jesus embrace his cross? Did I ask you guys that question? I asked the first service that question. I'll ask you. Why did Jesus, and that's what I want you to get from that scene. Jesus embraced his cross. And we don't know that he did that for sure. But the writer, the producer, whatever, they, they probably thought about the life of Jesus and put that in there. But I can imagine Jesus embracing his cross. <clears throat> why did Jesus do that? Why was he... Why was he looking forward, if you will, to getting to the cross. Here's the answer, I believe, is because 
it was just a struggle just to get to the cross. It wasn't easy just to get to the cross. It was a struggle. His whole life led up to this moment. The whole life of Jesus, especially the last three years of his life, led up to that moment. It probably started millenniums ago when Jesus was with his father in the heavenly realms and They created the earth together and they looked at this hill because there was a a spiritual war that went down and even before God created man, he knew that his son would have to pay the price and he actually created this place called Golgotha. I'm going to show you here in just a second. He created this hill called Golgotha and they were probably looking at that hill thinking that something's going to go down there. You're going to have to give your life one of these years, one of these millenniums. And then as Jesus lived his life, his life was, was always in danger of being taken from him. The Pharisees looked for opportunities. If you read in the Gospels, the, the Pharisees were constantly looking for opportunities to catch him in a trap because they wanted to kill him. He was almost killed several times. And then during the crucifixion, he was nearly beaten to death the night before he was crucified. The next day, as I'm going to talk about, he was scourged, nearly beaten to death with a whip. But here's the deal. Jesus had to get to the cross. This was fulfilled prophecy. You see, Jesus had to get to the cross in order to be crucified on the cross because of fulfilling prophecy, in order to die, in order to go into the grave, in order to be raised from the dead. All of this had to take place. This was one step closer to accomplishing his mission. That's why I believe he embraced the cross. You see, had Jesus not been crucified on a cross, had he not died, had he, not, he wouldn't be raised from the dead. And had Jesus not been raised from the dead, our salvation is null and void. There is no salvation. There is no Christianity without Jesus being raised from the dead. Christianity began with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And had he not made it to the cross, he would not have died and been, had, had been killed He wouldn't have been buried or raised from the dead. That's why he had to get to the cross. And then he had to stay on the cross. And being divine in nature, knowing that he could dispatch angels at any time, and this would be over, he had to stay on that cross. And I'm going to tell you about his struggles. Now let's go back and let me set the scene here in Matthew 26 and 49. Last week I left you with I left you with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane after he surrendered to the will of the Father, after praying, Lord, if there's any way, Father, I know who you are. I know what you can do. Take this away from me. He finally, his prayer finally ends with a surrender, and he's arrested, Matthew 26 and 49. It says, so Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him, look at this, and gave him the kiss, the kiss of betrayal. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus, arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck, this was Peter, the high priest slave slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Now look at this. Don't you realize that this, is, this, is, this goes back to nobody takes his life. He chooses to give his life. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen? Then he looks at the people that are arresting him. Then the crowd, there's a crowd of people, not just Judas, not just the temple guards, but there's a crowd of people standing around. He says, 
Am I some dangerous revolutionary that, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Hey, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every single day. Then he answers his own question. This is why this is happening like this, because this time is the devil's time. He says, but this is all happening to fill the words of the prophets as recorded in scriptures. And at that point, all of the disciples deserted him and fled. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to flip back and forth. I'm going to go forward in the crucifixion and back in the, in, in the crucifixion. I'm going to go back and forth into different gospels because it's, you know, it, there's different translations and, and different things that, are each, that each writer said. So I'm going to flip back and forth, and it's not all going to be in order. And then I'm going to take a look at some of the things that Jesus struggled with, and I'm calling this the struggle with Golgotha. And when we get done here, I want to, the whole point of this is to show you that no matter what you go through, you can get through it. But here's what I don't want you to feel. I don't want you to walk away saying, well, because of what Jesus has been through, I don't go through anything. I'm never going to whine again. You know what I'm saying? I don't want you to walk away feeling that. I want you to walk away saying, because he has done this, because he has gone through this, then I can get through anything because Jesus is my example. That's the power of a Lord who walked the earth, a God who walked the earth in the flesh that went through the things that he went through in order for it to be our example. Hebrews 12 and 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder, he's the founder of our faith, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He, didn't, he wasn't passionate about the cross. He didn't want to go through the crucifixion of the cross. But for the joy that was beyond the cross, he, what the cross? He endured the cross. So because he endured, he is our example that we can get through anything. So Jesus was, now let's talk about his struggle. First of all, Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused. In other words, he faced lies about himself. In Matthew 26 and 57, Jesus was before the Sanhedrin or the Jewish council. It says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered. Now what is this council that we're talking about? This was the Jewish civil court. This was the court for the Hebrews, if you will. Now, to, to, to talk about what this looked about, Jerusalem in those days was a walled city, and in the middle of that city was this predominant structure. It was the largest structure in all of Jerusalem, and that was the temple, the place of the temple. It was this brand new place. It was incredible, and it was amazing. And at this time, there was about 30,000 people in Jerusalem. Now, now remember, this is, if you will, if you wrote, this is called Holy Week in Jerusalem. For us, it, you know, we recognize that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday would introduce the fact that he was the Messiah. It begins the Passover week. During the Passover week, all Jewish people came home. So this town of 30,000 people, they believe, would increase to about 300,000 people inside and outside the city. Jesus was crucified during the Passover week, all right? And the Jews, or the, the Jewish council, which was the Sanhedrin court, was made up of the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and, or the Pharisees and the scribes, it was made up of them, the teachers of the law, the Levites, and everybody who was somebody, all of the VIPs, were home 
for this thing. This was a very big thing. This was a big court thing. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward at last who came forward and talked about, hey, he said that he would, he would destroy the temple, but he would bring it back in three days. But they took that out of context. Let me ask you a question. Has someone ever lied about you? Has someone ever made something up against you, accused you of something that you didn't do and convinced others of the same thing and embarrassed you or humiliated you in front of people? Has that ever happened to you to the extent that it cost you something? Well, if that be the case, that's how it feels on this day to be Jesus. Jesus was dragged in front of his friends. He was dragged in front of strangers and he was dragged in front of his enemies and lied about Now, sometimes people wear these bracelets, and you've heard this before, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Have you heard of that before? What would Jesus do? Well, uh, the idea behind that is we need to be a little bit more like Jesus. Let me tell you this. The more you are lied about, the more that you are falsely accused, the more you are like Jesus. Actually, the Bible says that you're closer to being blessed. Look at this. Matthew 5 and 11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. What did he say? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the the prophets who were before you. Let me tell you something. Stop worrying about people who lie about you. Stop worrying about you, the more you defend yourself over, over a lie, the guiltier you look. Have you ever been there? That you had to defend yourself about a situation and you have to step back and say, man, I'm looking guiltier about this. You need to stop wasting your time with people that lie about you. I've heard people say this, man, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that about me. Why would anybody do that? Let me get this straight. You can't believe that people who are led by the rulers of the world, which is the devil, would make up lies about you and make you look bad just to make themselves look a little bit better. You can't believe people would do that. I want to tell you something. We are filled in a world and we're surrounded by people who don't follow God. Jesus was about to leave this earth and be closer to his father. But now the enemy was fighting mad about this whole situation. Here's the point. The closer you get to God, the more people are going to hate you. And that's hard for me to say. That's hard for me to receive. And I don't want to say that. But Jesus said this. This thing that, that we need to be friends with the world. I know that we need to try to be relevant with the world and reach our culture. But this thing of we want everybody to, be, to, to speak good of us. And I, I struggle with that as a pastor. That I don't want people to criticize me. I watch my, you know, I don't want people to put me on blast on Facebook for a bad message. And I don't want people to slam me. But every single week I hear things about people criticizing me. Or people saying things about me. Or I hear rumors from the church. Or I hear things. And I want everybody to like me. But that is not what Jesus said this world would be like as far as living for him. He said, they're going to hate you if they hate me because the closer you get to me, the more you are like me, the more that they're going to hate you. So here's the deal. You need to be, I need to be a little bit comfortable. We need to be more comfortable with a little bit of this. Hey, they said something bad about me. Instead of being uncomfortable, instead of, and, and, instead of, instead of hey, no, no, we need, to be a li- we need to get comfortable with a little bit more of, hey, they lied about me. They did it for Jesus, and they're going to do it for you. It's a struggle. Number two, not only Jesus 
was, was lied about. Jesus was mocked. This is probably the most interesting part of this story because as, as we can read here and as we're going to find out, the devil was behind this whole thing to get Jesus to make a move that would, that would cause him not to be Savior. Jesus was mocked or he was made fun of for what he said and what he believed about himself. Think about that. Anytime there is a mocking, anytime there is a bullying at school, or it's always about what somebody believes and what somebody says about themselves. The point of the enemy is he wants to tear you down with his words or he wants to make fun of you to get you to doubt yourself. Jesus was mocked by the soldiers, a.k.a. people who had nothing to gain. People who didn't have a dog in the fight were mocking Jesus. Luke 22 and 63 says, But the men who were holding Jesus' custody, these were the temple guards. They were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking, Prophesy, who's hitting you in the head, Jesus? Prophesy, you you can predict the future. Who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Mark 15 and 16, this is an amazing verse to me. And the soldiers led him. These are the Roman guards. These are the Roman soldiers. They led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. In other words, they took off his robe, and they put this, this, this uh, royal robe on him to make him look like a king. And they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and they were spitting on him, and they were kneeling down and paying homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and they put his own clothes back on him, and they led him out to be crucified. Who and why would do such a thing? Who commanded of the Roman soldiers to say, hey, take out hundreds, take out a garrison of soldiers out into the governor's court, and here's what I want you, I want you guys to line up and put a robe on Jesus and put him out in front of all of these dozens or hundreds of soldiers, and I want you guys to do all of these things. Who would do such a thing? Who commanded it? I'm telling you, the devil was behind every bit of this. He was on the outskirts of all this because he wanted Jesus to be disobedient and he wanted Jesus to doubt himself. So the the, the soldiers were the first ones to to, to mock him. Then the Pharisees. Now, the soldiers didn't have a dog in the fight, right? They were just random people. They they had no reason. But the Pharisees, they had good cause and and good reason. They were people that were called out by Jesus. Every time he saw the Pharisees, He would call them out. Even the Pharisees that invited Jesus into their home. They would say, hey, Jesus, I noticed you didn't wash your hands. And he said, you guys are the biggest hypocrites I've ever seen. You ain't nothing but a bunch of snakes and vipers. And they would say, hey, you just insulted us. He said, yeah, I insulted you. I'm telling you right now, you're going straight to hell. I'm paraphrasing. You're going straight to hell if you don't get your life right. Well, he, he would say, you will not have any part in the kingdom of God. I'm just speaking in opposites. So now look at this. Mark 15 and 29 says this. And this was the worst part because they got what they wanted. These people that Jesus called out, these people that he would call them hypocrites, they they got what they wanted. Mark 15 and 29 says the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha ha, look at you, they yelled out. 
You said that you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and the teachers, these are the Pharisees. This is the court. This is the civil law people. They're walking by. They also mocked Jesus. Save, he saved others, they scoffed. But he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, this king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. Come on down from the cross if you're so great. If you're going to tear down the temple, if you're going to save people, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe it. They finally got their revenge. They've been looking for this moment for three years. I mean, from the very first moment that Jesus came out as the Messiah, three years previous, they were going, they, they, they've been planning to kill him. Now they finally got what they wanted. They finally got their revenge. This was the moment. Those, the Pharisees went home laughing at Jesus, that idiot. They were so happy to see him nearly beaten to death and nailed to a cross. Isn't it terrible when the wrong side wins? <laughs> Isn't it terrible? I mean, you, 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 watch, you watch, if you've seen any of the Passion of Christ, or if you've seen, if you've heard the stories, the documentary, you just hate the fact that the wrong side wins, that, that justice is not served. Have you ever felt like it just, it just wasn't fair? Have you ever felt like the things that you happened, the wrong side wins, it, it just wasn't fair? That's what was going on. The Pharisees appeared to be winning. And then Jesus was mocked by the thief on the cross. He just can't get away from it. I'm getting, I'm getting to the point of all this, but he can't get away. The people that are going through the same things that he's going through, the people that are right there with him, closest to him, they're even mocking him. Luke 23 and 38 says, A sign was fastened above him with the words, This is the king of the Jews. The 39th verse says, One of the criminals beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. If you're really the Messiah. I mean, he's, all, he's like doing it. He's, he's nailed, hanging on a cross. And, so you're the Messiah. ha <laughs> ha. Jesus can't seem to get away from it. I, I, I know I'm, trying, I'm, I'm having fun with this, but it's, it's, it's so ridiculous that mocking is coming from every side. Why all the mocking from so many people? Why is this going on? As I said before, the devil was at work. He's calling out Jesus. Jesus, you said you were the son of God. You were this great Messiah. You were the one that was going to take over the kingdom. Is that really going to happen? Actually, the devil would say, actually, I'm ruler and prince of this world, so if that's who you saw you are, what's going on here? He was calling him out. Come on, Jesus. You, you don't have to take this. You got, you got 10,000 angels at your beck and call, don't you? Why don't you, why don't you come off the cross? Did you hear that? The, the, the Pharisees we're getting him, had, had, had approached him twice, saying, hey, come off the cross. Hey, come off the cross. Come off the cross. You don't have to be, up. let's see you come off the cross. That was the devil working at him. Or wait a minute, Jesus, are you not? Is the truth that you are not who you say that you are? The devil was in the sidelines speaking to him. Jesus, as we said before in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus could see the enemy in the outer skirts, as he was walking, he told his disciples, the enemy is approaching, the prince of this world approaches. He could see him. The devil was trying to get him to, to, to get off that cross. Or wait, Jesus, 
is the Father leaving you right now? The purpose of mocking is always to get you to doubt yourself. The purpose of this is for the enemy to get Jesus to doubt himself or prove himself. But here's the deal. It's okay if people doubt you just as long as you don't doubt you. It's okay if people doubt you. It's okay if haters, people, it doesn't matter what people don't believe about you. Stop wasting your time worried about what people don't believe about you. Stop struggling with, with what others don't believe about you. It doesn't matter what other people believe. They don't know you. They don't love you. They didn't die for you. But the person who did loves you, believes, and you ignore the mockers. Number three, Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. This was another struggle, of course. In other words, he endured physical pain. He was first flogged. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going to tell you this. You probably don't want to answer it because it's a trick question, okay? How many times was Jesus, how many stripes did Jesus take on his back? How many did he take? How many times was Jesus, we've been taught certain things. How many times, how many, how many times was Jesus beat with a whip? That's what, that's, that's, that's what we've been taught, 39 stripes. Jesus received 39 stripes. I told you not to answer that question. <laughs> Do you know that there is nowhere in the Bible that says that Jesus received 39 stripes? Nowhere. That's, I, I was doing some, and I got to look, and I got to, wait, wait, I've, I've, I've been, I've said this in church, Jesus received 39 stripes, then I got to researching where we found that. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, 24, the apostle Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. So here's where we get this. If you are a Jewish person and you were punished for something, I'm glad the laws have changed. Now we just send you to jail. In those days, they didn't always send you to jail based on the crime. They just beat you and send you home. Now don't do that again. Basically give you a whooping. But law was you couldn't hit a man more than 40 times with a whip. You couldn't hit a man more than 40 times. So, so Jews were so devout with the law and so careful of the law what they would do is they would only beat a person 39 times because just in case we missed one, we didn't want to break the law. Now, here's the deal. It was not a Jewish person that, that whooped Jesus. It was a Roman soldier. So a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier gives no regard to Jewish law about 39 stripes. The second thing is what Paul was beat with five times was not the same thing that Jesus was beat with. Paul probably was beat with just a single strip of a whip, something like that. He could live through getting beat 39 times. But the same thing, the idea was to be punished by Jewish law, not to be killed. The point of what Jesus went through was to be killed. He was hit with something that had several strands of leather that was mixed with bone, steel, and lead. So every time that this thing hit him, this, some people call it a cat of nine tails, it was a multiple strip whip that had these different things on the end of it that removed flesh every time it hit his back. Some historians believe, so what, what, what the Roman soldier did is it beat him to the point that he almost died and then stopped because it would, it would not be practical to kill a man that had to get to the cross. He beat him just long enough to leave enough life in him to get him to be alive on the cross. And Romans knew what they were doing. Some historians believe that Jesus was dying after the beating. And he would have died from the beating itself. Jesus suffered 
excruciating pain. Matthew 27, 33 says, and when they sent him, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. It was something that would kill pain. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him. This was the darkest, most, most uh, hopeless state, I believe, in Jesus' time. I, I was doing a little bit of research, this, this place called Golgotha, and I think we have a couple pictures I want to show you. This is the mountain. It's called Golgotha. It's, Golgotha means place of the skull. You can see a zoomed out picture of it. But up on top of that hill is where Jesus, his cross was. And somebody zoomed in on it. Isn't that just a little bit creepy? Go ahead and take that off. I mean, I think that there, there's a whole plan to that this hill that, that God created, this hill that God made, this place of, of Golgotha where Jesus struggled. In 2004, Mel Gibson produced this movie. We saw a clip of it earlier where Jesus embraced this cross. It was the most graphic depictions of our Lord's crucifixion and it was captured, but it only captured a few minutes. And if you've ever seen the movie, I saw it in 2004. I haven't watched it since. I just don't want to watch it again. I watched it the first time, and I wanted to leave. I saw it in theaters, and I wanted to leave. But my thinking was, Travis, if he can go through it, surely you can watch a depiction of it. <laughs> Toughen up a little bit, Travis, before I kick in the seat of the pants. I don't know how you talk to yourself. <laughs> you talk to yourself? All right. But if you watch the movie, it gets, there's about 30 minutes of the crucifixion, maybe longer. But even in that, you can't take it. They knew what they were doing. You, they would show a little bit of the crucifixion. And then they would break over into where he was in another scene, part of his life. Then they would show a little bit of the crucifixion. Then they would show a little bit something else. They would show him with his relationship with his mother. Then they would show a little bit of the crucifixion. Why? Because it's too gruesome. The Bible says, if, if you look at, at Mark's gospel, that this crucifixion went on for six hours. He was sentenced at six o'clock in the morning. He, he was crucified at 9 a.m. and it went to three o'clock. I'll read that in a second. Listen to this. The term excruciating literally means out of crucifying. That word that we use, excruciating, comes from the fact that crucifixion, crucifixion existed, existed. And by that era, the Roman Empire had perfected torturing criminals this this wasn't just a death this was a death that was perfected by a government or by an army that they knew how to do it here's the deal jesus didn't just die he endured excruciating physical pain through the most gruesome death of the roman world and he did that to accomplish his mission it was a struggle but he did it number four jesus was abandoned in other words, he was left alone. In Matthew 26, we see that Jesus was arrested and all of his disciples deserted him. Have you ever been going through the worst thing in your life? And the people that you thought were closest to you, the people that you invested in, the people that you were with through their toughest times, and you helped them through their divorce, and you helped them through their situation, and you helped them when they lost their job, and you helped them through their habits, and you helped them, and then you went through the worst thing in your life, and you look around, and everybody's like... I'm sorry, man, we signed up to win, and you happen to be losing right now. We ain't got no time for no losing. Has that ever happened to you? That very thing happened to Jesus. All of the people 
that told him they would be right with him. And get this, three hours after he was nailed to the cross, this goes down at noon. Matthew 27 and 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, which would be about three o'clock, I'm sorry, about the ninth hour, which would be about noon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After all of his friends abandoned him, after there was nobody, after Jesus was all alone going through the worst part, the lowest point of his life, if that were not enough, God abandoned him on the cross. And to me, this is a mystery. I don't understand. The only thing that I can think of of why this would happen is that God had always been with his son. We hear stories that where Jesus goes up on a mountain and, he's, and God would speak to him or the angels would sit down and encourage him or Elijah and Moses on, up on top of the mountain of transfiguration. He comes down off the mountain and his face is glowing. He has these conversations. The disciples know that God is talking to him. God speaks in an audible voice over his son two or three times in Scripture. And for one moment, Jesus, which is going through the worst thing in his life, with people mocking him, with him going through excruciating pain, with him going through the pain of the cross where he's actually nailed, in order for him to take a breath, he has to pull himself up to take a breath. And every time he pulls himself up to take a breath, he has to push against his nail-in feet. And as he does this, the back that shredded meat, the back that, that the bones you can see, and you can see his entrails through the, his back, scrapes against that wood. He takes his breath, goes back down. He does this for six hours, and as he is doing this, God decides to abandon his only son. And it distracts Jesus. Jesus is going through all of this pain, and he so notices it that he yells to his father, Why have you abandoned me now? You have always been with me. And I don't know why God chose to abandon, to kill his own son. I don't have the answer to that. Surely there was another way for salvation. Have you ever felt like you were going through the worst thing in your life and God wasn't there? Have you you ever been going through a a situation in your life, Lord, I'm doing my best I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. I thought that this is what you called me to do. Lord, I didn't sign up for this. You said you would always be with me. You said you would never forsake me. And then you look around and you don't feel God. You feel like God is not answering your prayer. There's nothing in Scripture. I mean, you're not opening up your Bible and it's like all the the sad Psalms. You know what I'm saying? Like God's nowhere around. You ever felt like that? You know, the difference in what Jesus went through and what you're going through is he has never left you. He's never abandoned you. Maybe God wanted him to feel like what it was not like, what it felt like to not have the presence of God in his life. But Jesus will never leave you or never forsake you if you belong to Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to endure a struggle. Listen to me. Just because you may have to endure a struggle does not mean that you have been abandoned by God in your struggle. He has not left you. He might let you endure something. He might let you feel like you're going through something. He might want you to learn something along the way. He might want to sow some things on the inside of it. He might want you to toughen up. He wants you to get better. But he's right there, right there, only a prayer away. Jesus knew what it was like to be abandoned, but you're never abandoned by the Lord. He was falsely accused. He was mocked, crucified, abandoned, and lastly, he was rejected. 
John 1 and 10 says he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. That doesn't sound like a plan to me. It seems like God would have worked this out. I'm going to send you into the Israelites. I'm going to send you into the Jews. Oh, by the way, ain't none of them going to like you. He was rejected by the people he came to save. They didn't choose him, yet he accomplished his mission. Do you know what Jesus' response to being rejected was? And we can all learn from this. I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to save you anyway. I'm going to die to save you anyway. Your rejection of me has no bearing on my mission and my love for you. Listen to me. Your success in this life will determine or will be determined by your response to being rejected. Let me say that again. Your success, I don't care what it is. Your success in this life will be determined by your response to being rejected. Because it's going to happen. In this life, you won't always get the prize. You won't always win. You won't always get the trophy. Guys, you won't always get the girl. Guy, girls, you won't always get the guy. You won't always land the job. People will turn you away. In this life, you're going to be rejected. What is your response to being rejected? Everybody here, if I can do this for a second, everybody here that's over 50 years old, let me see your hand real quickly. It's okay. My hands are in the air, okay? If you're over 50 years old, everybody looking around. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Hang on just a second. Okay, if you're under 50, I want you to look at these people. Most of these people were very good skaters at one time. (laughs) Most of them, I mean, could just throw down on a skating rink. There used to be a skating rink on MacArthur. I can't remember the name of it. (laughs) spoken by a true professional skater and I'm telling you we went there every Friday and every Saturday everything everything went down at the skating rink and it was a wood floor it was we had the most fun I mean we does anybody remember skating to journey songs but I remember that there was this one thing they would do about halfway through the time they'd say okay all right we want the girls up against one side and the boys up against the other. It's time for couple skating, a.k.a. public humiliation by rejection. <laughs> so there'd be, if it was Saturday night, you'd have 50 or 60 girls on one side, 50 or 60 boys on the other, and here we go. It starts out with a girl. She skates around. She gets a guy, and they skate around too. They blow the whistle, okay? They split up. Girl, go, girl goes and gets another guy. Guy goes and gets a girl. Are you with me? So they couple skate. A couple times around, Split up. They go. So multiplication process. Everybody going skating, okay? Unless you got no game. <laughs> Getting down to about 10 people. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Still no takers. Okay, we got about three people. It's got to happen. It's, a pro- it's, it's bound. It's got to happen. And about that time, it's a, all right, let's just all join it. For you losers in the room that can't get anybody to skate with you, you just kind of blend in and act like you got somebody. You're like, okay. <laughs> Does anybody, anybody, feel like, anybody know what it feels like to be not chosen? You know what? Jesus chose you. You don't need to fear anybody else's rejection. John 15 to 16 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. In fact, I appointed you. Here's the deal. When God's got your back, when God chooses you, you don't need everybody to choose you. It doesn't matter who doesn't believe in you. It doesn't matter who doesn't love you. Keep applying 
for that job. You don't need 10 jobs. You just need one job. You just need one person to choose you. Guys, you don't need every woman to love. You just need one woman. You just need one unfortunate woman to... (laughs) Ladies, the right man is, the, 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 the one man is the right man be, to be chosen by. You don't need hundreds of friends. You just need a, free, a few chosen friends. Don't worry or don't fret about being rejected in this life. Your time and your people are coming. Here's what I want you to know. God chose you and God loved you. I want to close with this. Jesus endured the struggle of the cross and was our example. You see, the cross was a place where the enemy got the best of the Lord. You think about it, he got the best of him. But it wasn't over. We'll talk about the rest of that next week. But as we see the struggle of the cross, as we see his struggle with Golgotha, we see as him being our example, we see that no matter what we go through, because of what he endured, we can endure. Amen? You don't have to worry about that. Listen to this verse quickly. Consider him, Hebrews 12 and 3, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Yeah. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Remember, no matter what you go through in this life, first of all, consider what Jesus went through. And the reason that we look to him is it teaches us to endure. And remember, what we go through doesn't compare to what he has gone through. That's supposed to encourage us that we can get through anything in this life. So what is your struggle? What are you going through? I just want you to know God will take you through it if you'll let him. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. And I thank you for speaking to us. And whatever we're facing, whatever our struggle is, Lord, I pray that we will give it to you today in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, you're thinking about these things that I'm saying today. What's God talking to you about right now? Will you just take a moment and ask yourself, what is God saying to me right now? If you belong to the Lord, is he saying, hey, this struggle that you're going through, I'm going to be with you. Hey, you need to give this to me. Hey, you need to believe in me. You're going to get through this. Is God saying that to you? If you don't know Christ, you've been confronted by a very real Savior today. And, and if, you, if you haven't been to church in years and you show up for a message like this, I don't know, God could be trying to get a hold of your heart. What is God saying to you? Will you answer whatever he would like to say? If you're here today, you belong to the Lord. He's Lord and Savior of your life, but you're going through a struggle. You're going through a situation that you feel you can't get through. I want you to be encouraged. And if you're going through something, I want to pray with you right now. If you're seated next to somebody that you love, you might take that person by the hand. There's power in us praying for each other. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to people right now, whatever they're going through, whatever we're going through. I pray, Lord that the struggles that we face, we consider our Lord Jesus, we consider you, that no matter what we face, it's not going to overcome us. And though it's tired, though we may be tired, though it's, though it's gruesome, though it may be tough, you're going to take us through it. You're right there. You will not abandon us in our struggle. You'll walk us through it. We believe that and receive that in the name of Jesus. If you do, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer. If you don't know Jesus and he's not Lord and Savior of your life, 
for whatever reason, maybe you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe at some point in your life you walked away from God, and today you feel like God is calling you home. Whatever that is, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to Christ. So if if I'm going to pray this prayer, I'd like to know if people are serious about this, and I want to know I'm praying for people. So just between you, me, and God, you can say, Travis, if you'll pray, I'll pray it with you. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. I'm going to come home today. Real quickly, just put your hand up and put it down so I know I'm praying for somebody. I see your hand over here. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see your hand over here on the left. Anybody else? I see your hand right there. You can put it down. Anybody else? That's me, Travis. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. I see your hand in the back over here on the left. Anybody else? Okay, we're going to pray, and as we pray, repeat this prayer with me as we all pray. Mean these words. Give your life to Christ. Come home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, As I'm before you today, I give you my life. And Jesus, I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. Wash me clean and whole. And I confess that you are my Lord. I confess that I believe in you. That you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, guys, just celebrate. People have come home today. Are y'all blessed by that?